Has the intro been good? Have you listened? Oh, I, I, I want to play, play one for you. Yeah, do, do it. I want to hear. All right. In today's episode, we talk about agile leadership and the characteristics of strong leaders. You're listening to the Iteration Station. Welcome to today's episode of the Iteration Station. I'm your host, Jake, joined as always by Brett. Today, we are going to examine a little bit of what it means to be an Agile leader and some of the principles and tendencies of very successful ones. So a topic that is uh, pretty important to me as, as a leader in our organization um, as we follow some of those Agile principles. Um, and you know something that I think everybody can learn from whether you're in leadership or not. Uh, Brett, welcome. How are you doing? Are you excited? I am excited. <laughs> this, is, this is a topic that I get really excited about. Um, it talks about not just the tactical implementation of Agile or Scrum, it's talking about the organizational shift in mindset um, from that traditional top-down leadership, the command and control style, the hierarchical power structure, and uh, the more agile-focused servant leadership, um, the more decentralized command, and kind of empowering the teams to make decisions as opposed to the leadership making decisions. Yeah, and I think that's a, an important point that you make there about it's not tactical anymore because then when you get into you know top down command and conquer I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the command and control there, the yeah. command and control uh, you know that that was a tactical form of leadership and I think that moving away from that is a difficult thing for some people then maybe a little bit more embedded in that older form to to grapple with yeah yeah and I think uh, it's it's a very humbling experience to move from that because what you're saying is. If you're the leader that's at the top of your organization or near the top, you're saying that you're the person that has a lot of power and control. And your power is measured by how much you can control the people that report to you or the people below you. Um, and you get to make decisions about what they do uh, and what they work on and things of that nature. Uh, but this is kind of flipping that on its head and saying, uh, as a leader, I can humble myself to say that I'm not as smart as the people that work for me when it comes to the things that they're working on, that they have the most knowledge around their own tasks and so why would I make those decisions as opposed to letting them make those decisions? Well I've always thought that's how I got this job was by being the dumbest person on, on the team. <laughs> that's right. That it was, they well, just we don't want him to work anymore. Yeah. We, we just need him to do. But it's not to say that the leaders aren't doing anything. Uh, right. We need somebody to set direction and vision and this actually frees up the leadership to do that whereas normally they're tied down by kind of the micromanagement structure and getting really into the weeds and the tactical implementations, this removes that from their plate, and now they can set vision and direction for the organization or department or, or whatever it is that they're kind of in the position to, to benefit. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point because especially depending on what layer of, of management you're at and how your organization works, a lot here of the vision, the long-term stuff, you know, comes from generally the more executive leadership. But I think, you know, in my position where I'm, I'm working directly with my team very frequently, you know, every day, it's kind of translating that message into how it, what it means to us, and how what we're, our work does contributes to that wider message. And uh, you know that I, all leaders should be doing that, but I think it's especially important in in a team based you know development environment. Yeah, absolutely. You want you want that connection to the purpose that the organization is providing, and depending on how large your organization is, it might be a very very quick 
uh, step. You know, your team contributes directly to what your organization is doing. Uh, in other larger organizations, it might be more of a tiered approach where your organization might have a bunch of different kind of initiatives that it's pushing forward, and they all feed up to hopefully uh, uh, an aligned mission. Um, and so you need a lot of different layers of leadership to translate that overall mission down into the different visions and strategies for each department, all the way down to the team level. Right, and when you when you do that, and you're successfully able to do that, and we talked a little bit preparing for the show about decentralized decision making. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, just think about as a manager, if you pass along that power to the team, how many more ideas do you get then? You know, it's yeah. not. I don't have to make a decision in a, in a vacuum, not really having all the information. Instead, I get a collaborative environment where people who are closer to how. To, to being directly impacted by that work Absolutely. can contribute and, generally speaking, come up with better ideas. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, David Mark, Commander David Marquet, uh, he wrote the book, Turn the Ship Around. He said the analogy, like, I've got 360 smart people now running the ship instead of just one person, me. And right. so that, that number of just sheer intelligence compared to any other ship who's being commanded by one person, it's not even a, a competition. Right, and and I mean that's that's why it works so well, and it also helps the individuals on the team to feel more a part of, you know, that they they're actually able to impact the the things that are happening to them. Right, it's yeah. no it's no longer being told what to do or or not or kind of blindly trying to steer their day to day work. Uh, it just helps to kind of get a little bit closer to what is the organization needs and how do I fit into that. You know, it, it's kind of a a bit of a belonging message. Yeah, absolutely. I can't count the number of times when I was a developer that. Uh, in a good situation, I was building something and I didn't know why I was building it or what what purpose it served. And in the worst situations, I knew what I was building was not going to work or it was the wrong decision. <laughs> but because we were told this is the thing you have right. to build, you have to build it. And yeah, I mean, on the flip side, you could say that you're doing exactly the right thing because it's what the highest paid person wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's not, not necessarily a roadmap for success. But, right, yeah. It's um, not empowering, that's for sure. I, I think, you know, if you're able to... to communicate that message and what the organization wants to do or what the goals are able to do, even as you go through things that are kind of difficult or, you know, short-sighted just by nature, uh, if you're working on something that has, maybe you're working on a product, as is the case with my team right now, that has kind of a retirement cycle to it or a retirement date. So we know that everything we are doing is going to be gone and some amount of tangible time, right? Right. If If you can understand how that immediately impacts the organization, the customers, whoever, and then kind of see how it fits in in the longer term of why we're still working on those things we know we're you know eventually moving on from. Yeah, uh, it, it's just easier to convey that message versus we're just blindly doing this because the other the next stuff isn't ready yet. You right. Know? It's, yeah. That's that's because that's not the case. Yeah. Exactly. There's there's a pitfall there, a motivational pitfall of any developer who's saying I'm building something and I know when this is going yeah. to be retired and it's gone. But like you said, connecting that to the overall strategy and saying like we are as a as a larger team not just this agile team but the agile teams that we work with we are we are one team that's pushing this initiative forwards and this is a component of that that kind of brings that bigger picture into it yeah and i'll i'll tie that into just another leadership principle if you will uh that i think is really important you know when you're in that type of situation if you're just honest with your team hey this kind of sucks we're working on this thing that we know isn't going to be around long if you're authentic about that message and, and yeah. you're really being honest that, yeah, you know, I understand that your motivation's a little lower maybe on, on getting some of this stuff done. Let's get through it because there's more on the horizon. Right. You know, 
you're just basically what you're doing at that point is trusting your employees to be human beings, right? You know, yeah, kind of, exactly. Like, that, yeah, okay. I get. We're kind of all in the same boat of this kind of sucks. We'll yeah. figure it out. You yeah, know? and I think that that level of empathy is something that's usually missing in the command and control. The command right. and control is more just a do the thing. It doesn't matter whether you want to or not. Your job is to do the thing. Right. This is it's involving the, the entire person, the entire self. Like we've got a saying, we're bringing your whole self to work. And this allows that to happen. You can't, you're not telling the people that you work with, just bring your positive attitudes and all of your like happy, smiley right, stuff to right. work, but like bring all of yourself to work and then we can work through some of those issues together. Yeah. And I think it's an important distinction too of it, once you stop, so in the command and control method, you're just telling, you just have to do this, right? Yeah. That's that's the message. I, I think the, uh, the flip side, the complete opposite is basically trying to overhype something to like try to convince people that it's more than what it is yeah. right like it, let's just be honest about it we don't have to say well these is, look at how great this is going to be you guys really get this opportunity like people can see through that right. if they know the work they're doing kind of sucks yeah. So yeah just be real with them and you know that's something people can attach to more as someone who they know is going to be honest about what's happening and then they'll that that helps to build some trust as well yeah if yeah exactly i think that's a huge piece of it if i can be honest about this then i can build that trust now and then you can trust me when i'm telling you things are going to be like the next project is going to be really engaging really fun something that we really want to dive into uh or you know maybe not still being truthful like maybe we've got a couple lined up that we've got to you know kind of just slog through right but things that, like, we have an upward trajectory. If you, if you don't have an upward trajectory, then you have to wonder why you're working there at the beginning. But, but yeah, I think building up that trust helps you to kind of uh, cast that vision for the future that, that people actually buy into instead of right. just saying, you know, oh, you keep saying it's going to get better. Right. Or, or, like, I, again, I think we're trying to force the excitement. of or Like, you know, this seems like sometimes uh, people in leadership can kind of get frustrated with, the lack of excitement out of employees about what it is that they're working on or what's coming. I just, I can't imagine anything worse than hearing that as an individual. Like, you're not excited about this cool thing. Like, <laughs> right. like you're mad at me for right. not being engaged. Like because that, isn't the thing that I right. love it's, or whatever. It's not, yeah. That's not a great way to get support. You know, that's, that's actually more isolating to an employee who's already kind of prone to being isolated because they don't feel like they fit in or believe in the mission. Yeah, and that, and that again goes back to the leadership. The leadership not owning that and saying like okay well why aren't people engaged why aren't people happy and what can i do to help make that better or at least acknowledge that that's the case now and trust that or communicate that things are going to be getting better in the future what am i doing to make the future better right and and again we're together in it i'm trying to decentralize some of this command let's let's figure out what that better future looks like and how we can get there yeah and in the meantime while we're working on work that's maybe not as thrilling or not as important to you let's figure out ways we can do it better in the future and what things can we avoid that right. got us here. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are all key components to having a good uh, agile mindset. Yeah. But it <laughs> does... We got a little tangential there. <laughs> we I did. No, no, it's good. I think those are really good topics. But I think the important thing to realize is it takes a change in mindset. And that's something that I think a lot of organizations don't quite grasp when mm-hmm. they start getting into uh, adopting agiles. They see it, and we mentioned this in an earlier episode, they see it as a way that IT can do their work differently, but they don't necessarily think that as leadership, we need to make any changes to how we do things. But as, as those teams engage with the business and interact with the business, it requires the business to change. The business has to give up some of that control for the teams to make those decisions. 
Otherwise, the teams are going to feel less empowered because they're being told, you can make decisions except for all these decisions yeah. that we're making. Yeah. And I, I, I just think back on kind of the journey of the agile evolution where where I am now. And it, it kind of starts at the at that team level, right? Well, this team says presents maybe to you know the middle management, upper middle management, saying, we want to run this way with our processes. We won't impact anyone else. We're just going to do this. Right. And then that ends up being okay. But then now you've got another layer, the director or whoever, to start convincing. And then when you get that, then you got to go above and above. And it's just right. it's kind of a long process where if you can get that buy-in early by the C-levels and the VPs, mm-hmm. it's so much easier to transcend that down. I mean, it's taken years to kind of work its way up the ladder a little right. bit. And, you know, at every corner, it's been, you know, buy-in and acceptance in, yep. in a lot of ways. So we're starting to see more widespread adoption. But if you just think, if, if we could have started this five years ago from the top down on here's how I'm going to give away some of what, you know, makes me powerful here. Right, yeah. We w- it would have been a much faster revolution. I yeah, guess. yeah. <laughs> so I'll call yeah. It. I, think, I think it's good. But, like, tactically, it's just it's easier to take a, a development team and say, hey, all those meetings you're going to, we're just going to do these four meetings now, and mm-hmm. that's it. And then you guys are going to build. Like, tactically, it's easy to implement that. But changing mindsets, that's the channel. Like, that's the hard right. thing. And so, and you can approach it. If you could get... You know, a C-level executive saying, you know what, I think there's a better way to do work. Let's do this agile thing. And they go educate themselves. They take the time out of their crazy schedules. And they right. and they really dig in. They get it. Then that can drive the culture. That'd be, I mean, to me, that seems like the ideal way to do it. Right. But it just... It's it so seemed, rare that that Yeah, happens. exactly. <laughs> it seems so impractical for, right. for all that. So it's almost like sometimes you have to do that grassroots, bottom-up, start with a team and then that team becomes the marketing company yeah. for agile throughout the organization right. yeah I, it, it's a it's a hard change to go through yeah, so sure. it takes time yeah I, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit and touch on just another agile leadership principle that a lot of people say uh, and that's a the servant leader mindset. oh yeah um, you know you hear that everywhere and I think it's a really easy thing to say and I think if you're saying it frequently, you're probably not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're talking about yourself. Yes, yes. I am a servant yourself. leader. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah, my style is servant leadership. Right. That's not something you say. It's something you do, and you you know, you, it's a long-term thing, right? It's, yeah. It's, something, it's almost a thing you earn yep. that other people say about you then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's something that, you, like you said, you have to earn it. You have to exemplify uh, those attributes of a servant leader. You have to actively be putting other people first and not just thinking, what would a servant leader do? But you have to be thinking, what would I do? How can I humble myself? And how can I actually put other people first? Instead of trying to just look like a servant leader, you actually have to internalize those principles and live them out. Right. And and I so when I got to my position, I was pretty lucky in that I was not well versed in the technical aspects of the job of the people I was managing. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I was I was very lucky for that. At first, I was terrified because I thought, these people have so much more experience than me. What am I? I'm going to get imposter syndrome out immediately. Right. Yeah. Like, this isn't going to last at all. Yep. Uh, but what, I mean, it, it literally, instead, it just completely set me free, right? It's, I must trust you yeah. because I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, exactly. about. Exactly. So, know. you know, when, you, when you're starting at that level, and I think not every, most managers probably don't. Most managers have a lot more experience, uh, especially starting off from their background, if you almost just assume and take time to think, what if I didn't know anything about this? What would I do? How would right. I handle this? I think that that, I mean, that almost gets you there. Yep. We, we had a little interaction a while ago that I said, I think if you, if you could only choose two styles of management, one was do literally nothing 
and the other one was try to do absolutely everything. <laughs> the manager that does literally nothing is the better manager. Yeah, than that. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And so that's how I started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that was the interview process. What do you What do you want to do here? Uh, nothing. Uh, nothing. I'm going to do <laughs> But I mean, it just forces you to take a step back and understand these people know the problems. They have solutions. They have ideas, and they know how to make their life better than I know how to make yeah. their life. Yeah, they're smart people. And uh, I think it was Bill Gates said a long time ago that he loves hiring lazy yes. engineers yeah. because they're going to find the easiest way to get right. things done, the simplest way. And I've always said lazy manager. That's right. I'll be the lazy manager. But there's, I mean, there's some truth to that. There's, uh, if somebody comes to you and you're their manager and they're like, I need help with this problem, like how much better is it if you don't know what the answer is and instead you work with them to find the solution? Because now you're better for understanding the solution and the problems they're better for having gone through that discovery and that solutioning process. So everybody benefits right. from you not having the answers and then giving people the answers. Right. Yeah. And and I mean, it, it's even like the, the little things of like approvals. I, I need you to approve this for me to get it. What? Do you need it? Like, I, you wouldn't ask for it if you didn't need it. So, right. I, like, I just basically check it to see that you're not giving yourself, like, God Emperor rights right. over the organization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, okay, did sure. You, I don't, did you fill the form out correctly? I, I don't need to double that check way. that. Like, right. you, you, I believe that you need to do work here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so trust yeah, you, you can make those decisions. So, yeah, yeah, there was one organization that I worked at that we, when we uh, hired a new employee onto our team, the very first day, they got access to our production code. They got access to our deployment scripts, everything like that. So any developer could at any point from the day that they started on that team write code and deploy into production with no safeguards whatsoever. There was no hard-coded process around change it. change management. Right, like no. That, yeah. that, that stuff did exist, but it wasn't a stage gate because if we made it a technical requirement that you have to have three people review your code before you can push it out, in those edge cases where three people are not available, then you can't, you're just stuck. Right. And so instead, we said we're not going to like have any hard line process around it. It's all going to be, you know, if if I changed a letter in some text, I'll have a buddy look at it and then we'll push it out. Right. But if I'm you know making more significant changes, then we'll get a couple people get their eyes on the code and then go through the you know the process. That's not really a you're just trusting people to do what's exactly. right, do what's appropriate. And I think yeah. That I, I don't know how we ended up in a world where there is so much like over-policing and right. over-policy and all this stuff that, that essentially makes it impossible to do anything quickly. <laughs> yes. I don't, it's it's a weird phenomenon of yeah. how, how do we not just trust adults to do the right thing and then look back and see who's not doing the right, right thing and then deal with that instead yeah. of assume everyone's bad exactly, and we yeah. need to fix everybody. Assume everybody's good and right. then when things fail, like those are great. The Coaching opportunities yes. or, yeah. And, and look at the problem. If it's a holistic team-wide problem, maybe address it at that level. But if sure. it's an individualistic problem, we don't need to, we don't need to force everyone, you know, the, the bad eggs don't have to ruin it for everyone else, right? right? Absolutely. That's, so, I, yep. Yeah, more things you learn in elementary school applying <laughs> yeah. to the, the workplace. That's funny. They had it dialed so, in way back then. Yeah, if only we could keep that. <laughs> That's right. So what else, Brett? Any other principles or things you want to talk on? I don't know. I think we kind of like danced around a whole bunch of different topics and touched on a whole bunch. I think we, I'm, I'm not going to say it was a comprehensive conversation around wow. leadership, but... Uh, always so, leave ourselves open to an episode, too. <laughs> That's right. There's always a follow-up <laughs> yeah. episode. So, great. Well, with that, uh, thank you for tuning in to the Iteration Station today. I hope you've learned something a little bit more about at least how we think about agile leadership and what it means to us. Um, thank you for listening. 